Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to get started on the like a two-week mini-series here. I don't know if you, it's two weeks is enough to call a series, so I'll call it a mini-series. <clears throat> but it's titled, The Very Reason I Was Created. And, um, and, and the, the, the spiraling culture that we live in, um, there's, this is going to be very important. And if you've walked with the Lord for a long time, you might go, well, I know I was created. And I want to go back to Scripture, and I want to remind us, because the answer that you have may, may be um, traditional church influence, like mine was when I felt like this is what the Lord dropped on my heart. And I was like, oh, I answered that question in a certain way, and I found out that's actually not the reason. And so the first line here here in your notes is this, is it's mankind will always choose, always choose a self-satisfying purpose if they do not know the reason they were created. Mankind will always choose a self-satisfying purpose if if they do not know the reason they were created. So if I were to ask, you know, somebody in church like myself, you know, I grew up in church and a lot of you guys have been around church for a long time. If I were to ask you, why were you created? Most people would refer to a scripture that like I did. Most people would refer to a scripture. Well, love God and love people. That's what we're supposed to do, right? Love God and love people. And we would get that a lot because we, we read that a lot here. And um, that's one of our goals here. Matthew 27, 37 through 40. This is Jesus answering a Pharisee. And talking to his followers, he says this, um, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. And so when I was sitting with kind of with this question, the reason that I was created, and I, I answered it for my own self, I thought, well, love God and love people. And what I realized was this Jesus was answering a question, what is the most important commandment? He was not answering, why were you created? He was saying that this is what you're supposed to do. These are the commandments that I am giving you. Love God, love people. But there is a greater reason that comes before that for why God even made mankind. And to find that reason, we have to go to the Old Testament and listen to the prophet Isaiah. He very clearly spells out exactly why mankind was created. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. So plain and simple. The answer to the question is God made us for his glory. God made us for his glory. Now, you may be looking at that and going, God made us for his glory? And if you think about what our, what our view of what glory is, then it would seem kind of off. Like, um, eventually one day, it may, hopefully it won't be, Hopefully it will be in my lifetime, but eventually the Phoenix Suns or the Arizona Cardinals will hopefully win a championship, right? They will win an NBA championship or a Super Bowl, and when they do, we're going to just 
please, God, we beg you, when they do, we're going to, they're going to throw a parade, right? They're going to have a parade, and they're going to go downtown. And I know exactly the parade route for the Lakers, because they've done it 17 times down Figueroa Avenue. But here, we'll have to map it out, because it's never happened here before. And so when, whatever they figure out what that, that, that parade route's going to be, we're all going to go, and Sergio's going to lead the charge. He's going to have the biggest sign. He's going to be decked out in cardinal red or, or the orange for the jumpsuit for the, for the Suns, and he's going to cheer, and we're going to stand behind him, and I'm going to be more happy for him than I am for the, the team, right, because he has rode up and down all the way with these guys, right? So we're all going to cheer for them. And what's going to happen is we're going to cheer and applaud and say, you're the best, you're the man, and we're going to point at people, and they're going to point at the crowd, and we're going to cheer, and we go, that's the glory for what you got. And if that's your view of glory, we were created to just be like, ooh, yeah, he's the man, God's the man. It seems kind of self-serving on his end. Why would he create us for his glory if that's what we think glory is? He just wants a bunch of people to run around and applaud him all the time. He just wants a bunch of people to run around and say all these good things about him. That's all he created us for is so that we could give him all this affirmation. That doesn't seem consistent with a God who needs nothing. So what that leads me to is what does glory mean? This word glory in the Old Testament, I put it here in your notes, and you can read it there. It's cowbod, kind of like dad bod, but worse. Um, that's a dead joke. It actually does not pronounce cowbod. It's just, I did that just for that joke. It's actually called kabod, cowbod. <clears throat> um, and I have run off the rail with my dad joke. Anyway, definition of the Old Testament word glory here. Honor, splendor, reputation, and reverence. And that second definition, properly weighted, means it is very important. We were created to bring honor to God, to display the creative splendor of our Lord. To show reverence to him so that any other entity that is out there, any other person could look and say, oh my goodness, look at how well designed God made mankind. Look at the environment he put him in. Look at the, the, um, the animals that are around him. Look what he'd given him dominion over. And in Genesis, God gave man dominion over all of the animals. You have to care for the animals. You have to care for the ground that we're, that we're living in. That is part of our job. But that job was not the reason we were created. We were created for his glory so that everyone else could look, that any other being, any other entity could look that is an adversarial to God, they can look at what God did and go, oh my goodness. What a brilliant, creative, all-powerful God to create beings in his likeness, in his image, that would rule and be his representatives here on earth. We were created to give him reverence. That is the reason humanity was made. That right there is a mouthful. Because as soon as I got into the study and read that, I went, oh, my God, this changes how I view every decision in my life. I can no longer just flippantly go do something or spend my time doing X, Y, or Z. I have to go, man, my purpose, the reason I was created was to give him glory, to glorify God. 
that changes what I'm able and not supposed to do. When I have commandments in the Bible, Jesus has given us instructions, do this, don't do this, be a part of this, stay away from this. And Paul, the apostles are saying, hey, I want you to live this way, avoid these things. It's not because because God's good and this is bad and you better be good because you got to be God's and you got to be a good little boy or a good little girl. No, because you were designed to give him glory. The whole reason humanity is here is to give God glory. But what derailed that? Pretty simple answer. Anybody? Sin. It's the next line of your notes. What happened to derail mankind from our original purpose? That's sin. Over the last 20 years or so, a definition of sin has risen in the church, and it is a accurate definition, but is not a complete definition. And I want to tell you what that definition is. That definition is miss the mark. Now that is part of the definition of the word sin, but it is not the complete definition. Because when you say miss the mark to me, I'm kind of a visual guy, you know, like uh, uh, I, I need to see it in my head. I see me shooting a basket at a basketball and making it. And then I see, um, Christian shooting the basketball and missing it. <laughs> Just joking, Christian. He would beat me. Um, but I missed the mark. I missed the shot. I see a, a target and I have some type of firearm or a, a slingshot or a bow and arrow and I'm trying to hit the target, but I missed the target. It's like, oh, if you sinned, you just missed a little bit. That's true, but that's not complete. The complete definition of that word sin is to miss the mark or to miss or wander, next on your notes, to miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor, Ooh. to do or go wrong. And the third definition, to wander from the law of God, to violate God's law. With that definition of sin in mind, you can look at other scriptures in the Bible and they begin to get, uh, you can peel back a little bit more of the layers, like a a very, a very common one that most people in church know, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you look at scripture, let me give you a, a quick little technique here. What You can look at these words and start to define them and then read back the scripture with the definition. What are wages? Anybody? Compensation. It's what you earn, right? It's another way to say earn. What is sin? violating God's law. Death is eternal separation from him. So put simply, next line in your notes, what we earn for violating God's law is death. What we earn from violating God's law is death. Who were the first people to violate God's law? Adam and Eve, the first people. The first people to violate God's law were the first people. I want to just remind us real quick in Genesis. I'm going to read these uh, 11, 12 scriptures right here. Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 13. Exactly what happened. And then I want to show you in this scripture what every single person does when they sin. It's in this passage. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say 
you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So, <clears throat> excuse me, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. There's three things in this passage that every single human being does when it comes to the subject of sin. Letter A in your notes. They were convinced their way was better than God's. They were convinced their way was better than God's. Who convinced them? There are one of two people that convince you, yourself or someone else. Either you get inside your own head long enough and convince yourself, talk yourself into acting in a way that is going to violate God's law, and you rationalize it out in your own mind, in your own heart, and I should say our own mind and our own heart because this 100% applies to me. You can rationalize it out, and then you choose, I'm going to act in this manner, which violates God's law. Or someone else convinces you that what God said is not true. Our culture is almost in a warfare of trying to convince every single person to violate God's law in some way. Did God really say that? Can you really trust that really old ancient book? I mean, was it really preserved? I mean, do you really know what the thing said? Was it changed at some point in time in history? Did, are these words really the right words? How do you even know that? It's been translated all these times. It's been done all this stuff to it all these different times. How do you even know that it's really the right thing to do? And they try to sow seeds of doubt into us so that we will consider and be convinced that what God said, he didn't say. And once we're convinced, either by our own self or by the words of someone else, we act on it. We are saying, I believe that my plan, my idea is better than what God laid out for us. Matt, I didn't say that. I just tried this thing. Mm -hmm. 
you tried it in violation of God's law. So in essence, you said, I want to do the thing he's told me not to do. I want to live in a way, act in a way, respond in a way, talk in a way, speak in a way, live in a way that he has instructed me to avoid. I have violated God's law. And let me tell you something. Someone else who convinces you to do something outside of God's law is really only giving you fuel to do what you really want to do. Because what happens? The next thing that happens, letter B, they became self-conscious and hid from God. They became self-conscious and hid from God. Now, let's shut out the culture just for a second, and let's just talk to the people in this room. Roots Community Church, man and woman of God, people who call yourself disciples of Jesus following him. Have you ever sinned in a way that you knew was wrong? You did something you knew was wrong. You knew you violated God's law. And after the sin was done, you just sat there with self-conscious guilt and was like, oh, man. And then you didn't even want to pray for a while. You ever done that? Your boy has for sure. Oh, man, I cannot go to God because I know what I did was wrong. I even read it the day before. I heard a message on it, and here I am still doing this thing. But, whoo, hey, we good. God, I love you, man. Let's go over here and keep. I just had to sleep in a little bit today. And you kind of run from his presence. You ever done something the night before church and then woken up with the regret and then thought, there's no way in the world I can go to that church? Because if I cross that door, at some point in time, there's going to be this sign over my head that's blinking that says everything that I just did. Or what I did was so bad, if I cross the doorstep, God's like, it's over for me. I'm just charred up right there. I'm dead. I want to live. I don't want to go. Why? Because that sin encourages us to withdraw and isolate away from the people we know are supposed to be holding us accountable to the God that we serve. Everybody, when you are guilty of sin, wants to hide. That starts with me. The third thing, they tried to justify their actions. I don't know about you, but this last part of this passage is like dealing with little kids. Adam, did you eat of the tree? The, uh, the, the woman gave me the fruit. I mean, I ate it, but she gave it to me. And then... The woman, what have you done? It was this, uh, serpent over the serpent over there gave it to me. I mean, he convinced me I, I ate it, but it was a serpent. Everybody wants the blame to be off of them. How does that play out in our life? That person hurt me. I know I wasn't supposed to do that, but I was so angry at them that I just went and did what I wanted to do because I needed some relief. That church did this, so I'm done with all y'all. This guy in my family did this to me. This lady who was my auntie did this to me. My, my cousin did this to me. It's all their fault. I'm doing the action. I ate the apple, God, but it was somebody else's fault. We tried to deflect and get the responsibility away from us because we know we're wrong. We have been caught in our sin. We have tried to hide. It did not work. And now the payment for that sin is due. What we have sown has now come up to reap. And now we are called onto the carpet to answer for why we violated God's law directly and what it is. I do not want that blame. Look somewhere else, God. 
I'm not discounting anything that's happened in your life. I'm not discounting any wound that you carried or sustained from anybody else. Those things are very real. But you were not designed to find a way to fix your own hurt. You were designed to glorify God, regardless what anybody else says, what they do, what they do to you, what they do in spite of you, what they include you in, what they exclude you in from. It doesn't matter. You were designed to glorify God. I was designed to glorify him, not to find ways to soothe my own pain, even if it's in violation of God's law. So we were supposed from the beginning to glorify God. That plan is derailed with sin because now we have all of these other desires. Every single one of you was born after Adam. You were born with this, this, this internal desire, these internal struggles, these internal things that want you to please yourself instead of glorifying God. And here's the crossroads of when you give your life to Christ, you become saved. And now you've been given the commandment to love God and love people. Why are you supposed to act on those things? Why are you supposed to be obedient in your response to what God lays out before you? The reason is not because you got to be a good little boy and a good little girl and you got to earn your brownie points. So you can get into heaven. No, it's because you were designed to glorify him. The whole point of our existence is to glorify God. Which makes what just happened at the beginning of this service so much more rich and important. We took a moment to glorify him with our words. So, what do we do to glorify God. How do we glorify God in our life? We're only going to talk about one way to do that. Next week, we'll talk about two more. And it's the number one here, you know, it's how to glorify God in our body. How to glorify God in our body. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. This is Paul talking to the Christian church in Corinth. He says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Another translation says, I will not, uh, nothing will master me. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy, destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know 
that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, of the Holy Spirit within you, for whom you have um, have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And that's the part that I always heard as a kid. They cut the scripture off right there. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. But there's a few more words. So glorify God in your body. That word glorify here, it's a different language. And so I wanted to make sure we weren't talking about two different things and we're not. Look at the definition of this New Testament word glorify. Celebrate, magnify, honor. It's the next line there in your notes, honor. Second definition, to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. Now, Paul spends this passage talking about sexual immorality and how it is a sin against the body. It is not the only sin against the body, but it is the one that he outlines here in this passage and tells us to avoid so we glorify God. Another sin against the body we find, the, actually the very first time the sin, the word sin is used in the Bible is Cain and Abel, where Cain uses his own hands and finds a way to kill his brother Abel. These are not the only ways that you can sin against your body, but these are the ways that they, Scripture has chosen to highlight. Next sign in your notes, believers in Jesus were purchased, were purchased by Christ when he died on the cross. So their bodies are not to be used to satisfy their old, lustful, selfish pleasures. Followers of Jesus are to celebrate, magnify, and honor God by what they do with their bodies. Well, Matt... This is a big uh, pushback to this idea today. My body, my choice. Okay. You can't tell me what to do because it's my body. You can't stand up and say, I can do this or I can't do this or I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't participate in this. You can't tell me that. And my answer to, to that would be, you're right. But the words I'm presenting you are not mine. The words we're reading together are not the gospel according to Matt Poole. They are the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not the one giving you the instruction. I am pointing you to him who has given us the instruction. I don't want to do that. You can't make me do that. You're right. And there are some people who believe, hey, this, this passage was written to Christians, and so it doesn't really apply to non-believers. And I would say that's true to a point. But the way it applies to non-believers is this. You will never find or fulfill your ultimate purpose away from submission to God because he is the one who made you. And he, is, he knows the exact reason you were made. And that reason is not for you to be happy, is not for you to be joyful, is not for you to have this great life. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity. You were created to glorify him. 
I was created to glorify him. The words of my mouth, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God. Why? Because I am designed to glorify him. I got to take the focus. I got to unwrap the the, um, the the intention away from me and what I want. And I have to realize the reason I was made was to glorify him. And if that's the reason I've made that I have been designed by God, every decision that I make going forward now is different. I can't scroll hours and hours online, just killing time because I'm not ready to face the day. I heard a statement this week, if social media is the false idol, then our time is the sacrifice. I set my phone down and turned it off after I read that. <laughs> I was like, oh. I don't think it's a mistake that I read that in the middle of prep for this message. So Matt, I still have these desires. I still have these temptations. I still have these appetites for things that are against what scripture says. What am I supposed to do with them? Let's ask Jesus. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, that means follow me, be my disciple. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up the cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The idea of denying yourself and denying the desires that you have when they are in violation of God's law and violation of scripture is 100% against what the culture wants us to participate in. Do you, man. Do what makes you happy. No one can tell you what to do. No one can lay you out what you're supposed to be doing. You is, Does that make you happy? Does doing fill in the blank that we know violates God's law make you happy? That's just how you are. That's just how you're made. That's just how you're designed. You cannot suppress your true self. Good Lord, no. Don't do that. Be free. Why deny yourself? Because the God we serve gave us the instruction that the wages, the payoff, what we earn for violating God's law is death. And he did not come to give us death. He came to give us life. Next sign of your notes. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we are to deny any selfish desire or tendency remaining in us that is opposite of God's desires and commands laid out in scripture. We are to continually put to death every act of self that tempts us to dishonor God in any way, including with my body. Romans 6, 12 through 14. The apostles go on and continue to give us more instructions on this. Do not let sin or violating God's law control the way you live. Do not live in sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, 
give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. You are no longer under, uh, you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. When we use our bodies to fulfill, next sign in your notes, when we use our bodies to fulfill the selfish, lustful desires that are contrary to scripture, we sin, we violate God's law. And this whole concept and idea of denying ourselves, there's a lot of um, uh, a lot of pushback from the culture as there is going to be. Why would I deny myself something that I want that brings me pleasure? And uh, there, there's a an author, Jackie Hill Perry, who has a, she's an author, she's a, a speaker, um, she's an artist, she does poetry and music and things like that, and uh, she's a believer. And um, she recently on a podcast gave an answer to people who talk about why should I deny myself? What does that really mean? And her explanation really, really I think is relevant to our message here tonight, and it's this. To say that we're denying ourselves is to say that we are attempting through the power of the Spirit to restore our bodies and our minds back to its original intention, which is to honor God with it. We're trying to go back to what we were originally designed to do and glorify God. Next two lines in your notes. It's the last two, I believe. The cry of the culture is fulfill every desire I have immediately and without opposition. Fulfill every desire I have immediately and without opposition. But the cry of the cross, the Christ follower, is submit to Almighty God immediately and without opposition. If you are, if you have forgotten, or maybe it's never been put this plainly in front of you, of what you were created to do, I'm going to ask you to take that definition of giving glory to God and use that as the comparison and the filter for every action you have in life. Every decision that you're about to make, every job that you're going to take, every job that you're going to quit, every relationship you're going to participate in, every friend you're going to get engage with, any friend that you're going to walk away from, any participation or lack thereof in a church or community of believers, all of that has to line up against, am I giving glory to God? Matt, I don't really like the church service. I don't like church folks. They annoy me. They're disgustingly positive all the time, and they smile weird, and they pat me on the back, and they touch me. They just touch me all the time. I don't like it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to just go. I'm just going to find my own community, my own people. 
my own friends. I'll just do my own thing over here. I love God. We're all good. I'm just going to go try to live for God away from his instruction on my own over here. And my question for you is, are those conversations glorifying God? Are they convincing you to violate God's law? Are they feeding the side of you that you are trying to kill? Are they keeping it on life support and keeping it alive? Or are you going to do the thing that many of us may like, may not like to do and do it anyway? Matt, this is hard, yes. But I would love the people of God, especially the ones that go to this church. And my whole job of feeding and shepherding is the people that are in this room and call RCC Phoenix their home church. And so this is where we'll start. We should destroy, put to death, kill the desire in us that wants leisure, easy comfort so that we can proceed through life with as little effort as possible. We should put that to death. You were not created to find the easiest way to do something. You were not created to find the ways to cut the corners. You were not created to find ways to please your flesh, to operate in a way that would satisfy what this wants so that for a little microcosm of time, so it would impact your eternity in a negative way. That is not the reason you were created. You were not created to do something that was easy. You were not created to not face any opposition. You were not created for any other reason but to bring glory to God, to bring honor to his name, to bring reverence to his name so that people, when they look at your life, would say, you know what? God made them. He fixed them. He saved them. He renewed them. They are born again. I knew that dude. I knew that lady before they started going to church and get involved with Jesus. And I know them after. And I'm telling you that if that is what God does for somebody, that is what I want to do. You were created to glorify God. So let's start with our bodies. Let's start by looking at ourselves and going, is everything that I'm doing with this body, with that, with what I have been given, am I stewarding this in a way that glorifies God? Am I doing that? Because that is why you were made. That is why you were created. That is the reason you are here. Is there anything that you're participating in physically? We'll deal with some other stuff next week because we'll, this message will continue. Is there any area of life that you're participating in something that you go, you know what, that violates God's law. I'm looking at the Bible, it's pretty plain. I'm involved in something that I should not be. Then my friends, you know what that makes you? Human. But it also makes you a sinner in need of a savior. If your OnlyFans account is more important than scripture to you, if the 
lights go out and all the things that we say in the light go out with it. And what's done in the darkness and privacy of our own homes and hearts and life, you could effectively say, Matt, it's none of your business. But when you shut the door, it never shuts God out. Why in the world do we have to address these things? Because they are the reality of where our culture has led us. I know a man who faced physical persecution for being a Christian in Romania, flew to the United States to find freedom brought his entire family, left everything he knew. And after a few months, packed all his stuff up and went home and said, I would rather face that than the constant onslaught to reject Jesus. I don't pretend to tell you that it's easy, but let's stop looking for easy. Let's bear down and believe that God will give you strength to endure to the end, reject these things, deny the self part of us, deny the selfish wants that wants to satisfy these fleshly, ungodly things, deny that part, put that thing to death every day. And live your purpose, which is to glorify God. You were made for his glory. So now, you make decisions for your life and your week. Let that be on the other side of the scale and see if it balances. It's good to stand here and be like, this is what we should do. But it's hard when the alarm clock goes off at 545 for me and goes, this is the time I got to get up and let's film Jesus. I don't pretend it's not hard. But there's a believer in Christ who coaches the Phoenix Suns who made this statement, everything you want is on the other side of hard. Push back on the idea of ease and ease and, and, and low effort and do everything you can give, push, deny, kill the flesh and live to glorify your creator. And that is as much for me as it is for you. Let's be people who made changes starting tonight to glorify God and everything we do, but let's start with our body.